From its beaches and inlets to its forests and heathlands, Suffolk is a wonderful place to visit, but a great place in which to live. And yet, what makes Suffolk so fantastic isn't just its natural scenery and wonderful open skies, it's the people who inhabit this wonderful county. Suffolk is full of extraordinary people, of amazing businesses and staggeringly helpful community groups. So the reason why we've put this podcast together, the reason why we have the Suffolk Money podcast, is that we have found that there are only three things we can do with money. We can spend it, we can save it, or we can give it away. So we speak with community groups and charities to which we can give. We talk with independent financial advisors and money experts about our savings. And we talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders about places in which we can spend our money. This is a series of podcasts supported by Kingsfleet Wealth Independent Financial Advisors. I wonder if uh, you've woken up and thought of a really good idea, whether you've thought of that in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, or whether you've just had an idle thought that's transferred into something which seemed like a really good business idea. We speak to Olive Quinton today. Olive uh, runs an incredibly fascinating business called Lofty Heights. You'll understand why when you listen. But uh, Olive has two particular focuses within that business. And again, you'll find out something more about it. Uh, It's also an interesting type of business because it's not a normal company. Again, more about that within the interview. So please listen to this fascinating story of Olive Quinton and Lofty Heights. Uh, So our guest today is Olive Quinton, who runs what's called a community interest company. So Olive, tell us a little bit about, first of all, um, what's a community interest company? Let's start on that. What's a social enterprise? Um, A social enterprise is a business, uh, a not-for-profit business, which doesn't mean to say that we don't aim to make a profit. But if we make a profit, it will go back into the business to further our social aims. And our social aims, when I set Lofty Heights up in 2012, was to give opportunities for employment and training and and real paid work uh, to young people that were not in employment, education or training. They're often classified as NEETs. Um, And the other aim that we had because at that time there was there's a lot of cold homes in Suffolk and um, a lot of elderly people that live in cold homes that make a choice between heating or eating. And at that time there was lots of free loft insulation about, but they couldn't get their lofts emptied. So actually it was a no-brainer to me that on one hand, you know, by setting up lofty heights, we could give that training and employment opportunity to young people. And at the same time, we could do some good around addressing the issues around cold homes. That's uh, the remarkable thing about this business that you've started uh, or that you started several years back now, we'll explore that, is that it sort of deals with two issues. It's not just a single focus. There's those two fronts that you're working on really. One is to assist people who have cluttered lofts and therefore don't have the insulation that they need. And then on the other hand, you're helping people who perhaps um, have struggled to get employment. 
Hmm. Well, that, that, that's the thing, because again, you know, my, my background, I worked for 13 years in public health and I'm not a clinician and, you know, I'm not clever enough to be a nurse or a doctor or anything like that, but I did work, you know, I've, I've kind of always done some form of community work and I've worked in lots of, lots of so-called deprived areas, don't like the term, but, you know, there we go, um, but actually, we know we know through public health that actually um, it, it, your life chances are affected from the the cradle to the grave, and actually if you don't get those opportunities in childhood or early adulthood to get into work, how can you change your circumstance to leave a fulfilling life, to contribute to the economy, to feel good about yourselves, and all of that sort of stuff? So that that's where I feel really strongly about we we in Suffolk need to give young people opportunities and it doesn't matter whether they've got a string of qualifications you know um and and that's the way I've always approached things I'm more interested in whether you are willing to take the opportunities and show me that you want to work and I will invest the time in you and then Suffolk we can grow our own and and I think Lofty Heights in our very very small way We've kind of proved that if you are prepared to invest the time and energy and and believe in people that actually, you know, we you can make a difference. And uh, and that's not me making the difference. That's that individual grasping the net really and uh, taking the baton and running with it. So just going back to how this all started, did you wake up one morning with a, a sort of thunderbolt and say, I know what I need to do. I need to find a way of helping people who are in accommodation that needs to be improved in some way and I need to solve this issue of people who are out of employment or training or, or how, did it come together over a period of time? It, well it, it, it looking back on it it came together over a period of time because within my public health role for two years I was seconded to um, what was at that time was um, Suffolk Coastal District Council again doing you know various bits of health improvement work in communities and there was two pieces of work I was involved in. One was working with a group of homeless young people in Felixstone. And the other piece of work was actually was around, um, I learned ever such a lot about the impact on people's health if you live in a cold home. So if you're elderly and you live in a cold home, you're at an increased risk of heart attack, strokes, slips, trips and falls, which then has an impact on the NHS. Um, and when I was working with the group of young people, I was tasked through, through my public health role with um, working with this group of young people that were in supported housing, but they had come through a homelessness route. And what I was tasked with was actually to get them to sign up for, for a dentist, because there's a, there's a lot of homeless, young, home, homeless people that they, they haven't got a dentist, for example. So you end up with a raging toothache or an abscess, and then you end up on Saturday night in Ipswich, in A&E in Ipswich Hospital, which is not the place to be with a raging toothache. So actually the purpose of the piece of work I was tasked with was actually trying to get people to sign up with a dentist, which was, you could do that at that time. It's not so easy now. <laughs> it's not easy at all. Um, but um, the way I've always approached the way that I work with, with people in communities is that you know, you can't just get parachuted into a group and say, you know, you need to sign up with a dentist, for example. I've always worked in the way that actually I'm interested in you as a person. 
what has led you to this situation? In this case, it was a situation of homelessness and what would make a difference? And then we can start to talk about the dentist. And, um, and, and that was really re revealing. So I worked with a, a local youth worker in Felixstowe and uh, around about 11 o'clock um, once a week, we, we went to this um, scheme and, uh, and the hook was bacon sandwiches. So we'd, we'd, have, we'd have bacon sandwiches because 11 o'clock people would start to maybe drag themselves out of their bed or whatever. So that was the hook. Then we started to, and we did this over several weeks, and then we started to get some of those conversations going. So what had led some of these young people to situations of home, homelessness was at 14 or 15, maybe mum or dad had got a new boyfriend or girlfriend. There's no room for that stroppy teenager and they find themselves out on the street sometimes. Um, other situations were, I mean, and this is really difficult and, and we're seeing this now at the moment where um, maybe a parent had died and, and you're in social housing and actually the tenancy doesn't then pass to the 18 or 19 year olds yeah. and they've actually got nowhere to live yeah. and they end up on the street. And you've got young people coming out of care or, 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 or youngsters that have been through the criminal justice system. So that was the kind of situations that some of these young people were led into. And every one of them, when I asked the question, what would make a difference? They all said a job, mm. but they said with an employer who understood that they had, they had issues and that they would need, you know, kind of some support to get there. And so, th so that was kind of one thing. And then, as I say, the work around cold homes. And so I suppose really that was niggling away at me for probably about a year. Um, oh. And then my poor husband at three o'clock in the morning, I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the best husband in the world. I really have. And uh, he, he would say, well, look, you know what? If you want to do this, do it. Because, I mean, I'm, I was over 50 when you know, I, I wanted to do it. So it was a kind of like, well, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So uh, he said, look, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll manage on beans on toast. It'll be fine. And, um, and so that was kind of, and then I got the opportunity to go to the, the School for Social Entrepreneurs. It was just yeah. kind of, and then I went to them with this, this, what I thought was a mad idea. And I thought they'd laugh me out of it because you have to have a formal interview and, you know, have, a, have something that may have some social impact. And I was blown away by the fact I got a place and I knew that I was going to give it 110% mm. um, and, and make it happen. And, and here we are today. So we'll, a couple of things to explore there. So we'll come on to the so School for Social Entrepreneurs in a moment, because that is an incredible thing that you got hold of. But uh, you, you, you referred to your age. We didn't bring this up, but that must have been a big risk to take. Um, at that particular time, just to say, actually, I'm going to leave behind um, a life that's been in uh, that sort of health world and environment and working with people and being employed to say, no, I'm going to give it a try, going to go out by myself. Oh, it was. It was, it was a, a huge, it was a huge thing to do. But, you know, I couldn't have done it without the support of my husband mm. and, and friends, you know, and, and, you know, and you kind of, I mean, I often go, I've got an idea. And people go, oh, God, here she goes again. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of sound people out. And, yes. and a couple of people, and, and I, there was um, 
one friend I had that had had worked in the world of insulation, you know, and and kind of you. And and when I said about you know oh, I'm going to set up a loft emptying service, and he was like, really? You won't get any insurance. Um, you know, have you thought about the health and safety implications and and all the rest of it? And it was like, well, yeah, but you know, I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so again, that, that, that's really important to have a kind of critical friend that can kind of say, well, have you really thought this through? Mm. But without that kind of support of my husband to say, look, you want to do this, you give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. You've, you've tried it. You've got it out of your system. You know, you've done it. So, you know, that, that, was, that was the key, really. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a wonderful book called Rocket Fuel, which talks about entrepreneurs being two sorts. So you've got integrators and visionaries. The visionaries come up with mad ideas and the integrators say, oh, yeah, but what about this or what about that? And sort of bring you into the real world. And it sounds as though you've found your way through all of that. Oh, um, yeah. And and again, I mean, I've got some really good people around me um, because it's a lonely place. And if you don't build that that kind of network and that sounding board and everything you know you could go off on a complete crazy tangent and yeah. uh, and it would all go kaput very quickly yeah and actually i feel a huge responsibility to our team of staff yeah. so i can't afford to get it wrong no 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 that's an important issue so um so all this was happening when was that 2010 2011 something like that um, when you were I, going through this thought process yeah, 2010, I had a job and I was, you know, doing what I was doing. Um, 2011, I got, I think it was about September 2011, I got the chance to to go on the on the, the course, which was one day a week for a year. How did and you hear fantastic. about that? Just, you know, how did you come across the School for Entrepreneurs? Well, I heard, I heard about it through a friend um, because she, she had done the first year of it. So... The, the school's been going now, I think, about 12 years. So she was on the very, very first course, and she was running a charity in Ipswich. And um, and and she just told me about it, and I just kind of made some inquiries, and I thought, I'm going to do this. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it was one day a week for a year. I mean, yeah. even that is quite a commitment, if you've only just sort of switched over to relying on your... Well, I was still, I was still working. I was still right. working because, because circumstances had changed, and that when my secondment ended, I went back to my substantial post, which was only four days a week. So I had a day a week, and I thought I'm going to do this. And then about six in, months into the course, I actually gave my job up, which right. was a bit, bit mad, really. But <laughs> but maybe you just at that stage, that was the tipping point where you just felt, no, actually, I really do need to. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, what I kind of realised was that actually. I needed to give more than four days a week to doing the learning and starting the process of setting up Lofty Heights. So in May 2012, um, I actually registered Lofty Heights as, as a limited company and, um, and I had £500. <laughs> and, um, and we kind of started from there, really. Wow, that's amazing. That is incredible. So that's where we first met when you were going through the School of Social Yeah, that, that was 2012, yeah. 
Yeah, so I was on another aspect of the Eastern Enterprise Hub, which was all you know, assisting people just getting up and running. And I think I was drafted in just as that sort of slightly later life entrepreneur, <laughs> having started my own business in my 40s. So I think um, they tried to get a bit of a cross section of us as entrepreneurs, didn't they? So we could just give the li very limited experience we'd had at that time to be able to share. But um, anyway, that, that was great. And um, yeah, there were some great things that were coming out then. And it was a real um, sense of people, and particularly people like you, thinking of things. That, and I would walk away from those meetings or those events thinking, wow, that is just genius. Just think of something like that. So no, you're, that was great, really amazing sort of hive of activity, wasn't it? Well, it was, and but I think I think that's the other thing that you were, were with a group of kind of like-minded people, and and we were all on a different stage of of, as it were, your journey. <laughs> and I remember, um, I remember one of the activities that we did at the hub was kind of you, you had to kind of line up in terms of like where you were and how much money you you had or didn't have, and um, because. In 2012, that's when the local, when Suffolk County Council was spinning out the libraries and and some of their um, support services. So there was some of those people on the course that actually they were definitely going to have an enterprise, but they were coming out with millions of pounds. Mm. So like you were kind of lined up with, you know, here's the really rich people, here's the really poor. <laughs> And, and I was like second last from the, <laughs> the one with your five hundred pounds. Yeah. It was like, and that five hundred pounds actually came from a councillor. Right. It wasn't even at that point. It wasn't even my own <laughs> money. And that and that bought me um, a couple of ladders, dust sheets, hard hats, <laughs> and I think helped me to register the company. <laughs> wow. So it was. Proper kitchen table job, really. Yeah, but actually, isn't that a really good example of, you know, for a better description, microfinance, where a small amount into someone with a good idea can create a really significant business and have a huge impact on people? Well, I think what it did for me was that actually someone believed in me. Because mm. uh, that, that's the other thing that's really important, isn't it, when you're starting out? Because you think, you know, you think, oh, I've got the best idea in the world and this is going to be really great. And actually, then other people go, well, we've been there, we've done that. And it, it, it you know, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> and uh, but actually, for someone to kind of give you 500 quid and say, well, you know what, I, I actually, I think this might have some teeth. I'm, I'm going to put some trust in you. And then from there, that gave, gave me confidence. Mm. And then again, through the, through the Enterprise Hub, of course, then you've got access into, into other organisations like Unlimited. Mm. And Unlimited is is a kind of infrastructure grant giving body to start up social enterprises. So, so I mean, that, that experience of the hub was just invaluable. Would mm. not be here today without it. So during that year, what did you have? What was the input that you had? You, um, you had access to various professionals and so on during yeah, the course we did. Year, Yeah, we did. So, so, I mean, I think the first really good thing was that, you know, you were with a group of kind of, like-minded people that were having similar challenges and had overcome them at you know in in different ways or had not overcome them because you again you need to learn from your failures as well don't you um but then also you'd have what they call witness sessions so like 
local business. So like yourself, you, you came in and, and, and you would talk about the sorts of things that you did and the, the support that you could offer. Uh, but then we had representatives from Ensors. We had people coming in talking about tax. Um, you had people coming in talking about looking after yourself. <laughs> mm. um, and, and you also had other entrepreneurs, uh, Steve Flory, as I'm sure you know, very successful uh, local businessman. I mean, he, he was a really very inspirational. Oh, absolutely. And his story's inspirational. And he's a really nice guy. And, and <laughs> but I think he was just, you know, it's people like that that could say, well, do you know what? Yeah, no, may not end up a million millionaire out of this but that you don't that's really not the intention mm. um but so all of those kind of witness sessions but then the other thing that was really great about it was that they had what they call these action learning sets mm-hmm. have you ever been involved in those no no those are interesting. really great so, yeah they're really fantastic so basically it's a it's it's a small group so you're allocated to a small group and you stick with that group throughout the year and then i think it was about once a month or something you have a couple of hours so everyone would have a have a a turn in the chair as it were and just talk about the particular issue that was worrying them in the now oh that's good and then other members of your group would 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 question you but they wouldn't give you a solution but they'd ask you the questions that actually in the would get you thinking that actually in the end you find your own solution right it's called action learning. It's fantastic. Goodness. You know, it's it's really really fantastic. Um, so there was a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, the other thing about the hub, they had, they used to boast about the best black book in Suffolk, because of all the contacts they had yeah. and the networking and and all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, it, it it's a brilliant course, a really brilliant course. And yeah. whether you want to be a social entrepreneur or just be you know start up your own business there ought to be courses like that all over the place really. yeah no it was, it was just a real mixture of different things to get people thinking and as you say putting together people who are at a similar stage of, yeah. of development yeah. And, yeah. and starting up so yeah amazing yeah mm-hmm. still have great contacts through all of that and um yeah we did a great conversation we had a great conversation in this way i know another podcast recording with steve flory um so that's available to listen to for anyone who's listening to this uh, so we talked with steve and a couple of sort of younger entrepreneurs just about their journey and um yeah it, it's the important thing as you've just been saying is learning off each other isn't it Mm. that's what Mm. it's all about so yeah brilliant so you went through that um so actually once you got up and running how did it go interesting (laughs) um that so my my journey with the hub didn't end with with the end of the course because i didn't have any money um so i didn't have any kind of premises to rent all the rest of it so actually for a time myself and and four young people we squatted um at the hub just to try and get things going but the story really started the next stage of the story started with around i mean you can't just take a group of young people and stick them in a loft um so um i worked with um otley college and the department of work and pensions got really good relationships with those two organizations still and and basically they had a fancy name and they said that we were we were a sector-based work academy 
Cool. You can call me what you like, as long as it isn't <laughs> rude. <laughs> I don't mind. And basically what that meant was that it, it was their offer in terms of small businesses starting out, in terms of providing the training that they needed for their business. And of course, what I needed for my business with, with youngsters that had never worked was, you know, yes, of course, the health and safety stuff and customer service stuff and, you know, working with vulnerable people and all of that sort of stuff. But more importantly to me at the, that time was actually, A, could I get 12 to 15 young people signed up to show an interest in, you know, potentially what we might be doing, because that's what Otley College needed to run the course. And, um, and then, but the other thing for me was actually, you know, can you turn up on time? You know, can you be someplace on time? Can you, can you do as you're told, if you like, you know, because there's a different set of rules that apply in a work situation that apply elsewhere. Uh, and so we did a six week training program. Um, and I'm very honest with people from the beginning. This is what I expect of you. This is what you can expect of me. So the deal was that whoever stuck the course for six weeks would be guaranteed an interview for two weeks work experience. And at the end of that two weeks work experience, you'd have another interview. And then from that, I would pick a team of three and give you paid employment. So that was the deal. And when I first started talking about it again, people said, oh, you'd be lucky to get 12 sign up and you'll be even luckier, you know, to end up with four or five. And I was so happy at the end of the, of the six weeks because we ended up with 10. Wow. And we only lost two. We lost one because I, I've learned a lot as well. But the, the, the chap, he was 21, 22. And he was severely dyslexic and been in the classroom because it was classroom based for that first six weeks. Um, he couldn't cope with it and he got a severe migraine and the poor guy couldn't, couldn't finish it now. Given that time again, I'd work differently, but mm. you know, I was learning. And then the other, the other lad, he went off to be a games maker with at the Olympics. Okay. Um, so he did his volunteer. So that was two good reasons, really. Yeah. And then so I ended up interviewing 10. Um, and along the way, I mean, there was there was one lad on the course and he, he did a burglary. Well, no, you're not getting a job with Lovely. <laughs> Sorry. But you know, the, the thing is it was kind of it was that process that, that was experience for him, that learning from him. I think we ended up um, taking six on for two weeks work experience. And then at the end of it, I actually ended up, although I still had the money, um, offering opportunities to four. Great. And then it was from there then, it was like we delivered leaflets in the rain and we were, you know, this, that and the other. And, and when we got our first loft empty, oh my goodness, we were so excited. Um, and it's just gone on from there really, but we do so much more now. We, we, we empty very few lofts now, we do a whole lot more. So talk us through how, how that's developed then. Um, so the services that you do offer to people now, let's that's, that's explore well, that. It, it's about, it's actually about been having to be agile. You know, you hear a lot about agile, don't you, in, in business. But we did empty a lot of lofts, but about nine months into our operation, um, the green deal that was providing the free loft insulation was cut. And of course, the people that we were working with, very vulnerable people, 
the loft insulation companies wouldn't insulate a loft unless it was emptied. So that was our bet. Um, but of course, once the Green Deal stopped, it was like we weren't hitting an able to pay market. We were mm. hitting a more vulnerable group. Mm. So we were, we had a huge risk there. And uh, I remember the four guys and myself, we sat down at the hub, you know, we were still squatting <laughs> and just said, well, what can we, what else can we do? And you know what? The guys sat around and they said, well, we had that, that safe done one or two declutter jobs. And we had, you know, and so it was like, well, we could do a bit of gardening and we could do this and we could do that and all the rest of it. So actually, um, we we started off doing some one-off garden clearances during the summer. But along the way of the loft emptying, what we had seen was a lot of very cluttered homes. And actually, we we then kind of said, you know what, we could actually help people sort out their clutter. And as time has gone on now, that has evolved, and that's probably a good 70% of the work that we do. Yes. But in addition to that, with my health hat on, because I can't leave my health hat off. Um, so through our loft emptying, we, we would empty the loft into somebody's home. Now, we don't take your stuff away because what tended to happen with the loft empty would fall into like three categories. I don't know if you've got a loft, okay? But yeah, so what have, have you got? Yeah, loft? yeah, that was one of our primary jobs during lockdown last year. My wife insisted we tidy it all up. And all right, what did you have in your loft? Everything. <laughs> okay. suitcases old toys bits of old you know old tvs video yeah. recorders yeah all yeah. sorts yeah so so that so that that's very much the case but things tended to fall into like three categories so you'd have your cardboard boxes that mm. came off the microwave of the telly that's just it. in case but now you know you don't need it so that's one thing you would have the kids toys if your kids have gone off to uni, they might have left their scale electrics, their Meccano, their whatever. And actually, when you start talking about them, they'll say, oh, dad, don't throw that away because I want it now for my kids. Yeah. So that stuff can go into the cardboard boxes and you, you, give, a, you give a date and a time <laughs> for your young or adult children now to come and take it. And that's dealt with, yeah. There was other stuff that you no longer needed and we would take to charity. But if we came across anything of value, you mentioned sometimes those old leather suitcases can be as worth as much as £100. So if we saw anything like that, we'd let the person know that there might be, you might want to check out if that's got any value. Yeah. So we didn't take people's stuff away. And that was very deliberate because what we never wanted to be was accused of stealing or taking anything that we shouldn't take. So that was very deliberate. But we'd also seen there were some homes where actually we couldn't empty the contents of the loft into the home because it was so cluttered. And then the knock-on effect of that was that we'd also seen homes that were so cluttered that if someone had been in hospital, the OT had taken them home to do that assessment of, you know, can you use the kitchen, can you use this? Uh, that, that, That's an occupational therapist. Yeah, yep. and that... that that hospital discharge, we'd seen hospital discharges fail on the doorstep Goodness. because it wasn't a safe environment for the person to go in. So, so leading on from that then, so yes, we were still doing some loft emptying. We were starting to do decluttering. 
And then we were starting to make an offer to the NHS about you've got a problem of block beds. Uh, block bed costs around about £400 a day. Goodness. Um, so we can solve your problem of that block bed by creating the safe space. So we might do a partial declutter or maybe say the lounge. We work in some homes that are immaculate, really neat and tidy, but they've got the fish tank and the sofa in the lounge. And actually that needs to be moved to another area for a hospital bed to come in or a mobility aid or whatever. Uh, we also work in, in homes that are extremely cluttered or hoarded or not very clean. And, and that's not through necessarily people being dirty or lazy, but that is sometimes comes with great older age mm. where you're less able and then you can't keep on top of the housework or whatever. But actually, if your home is in a model, the kitchen's not clean, the bathroom's not clean, mm. you can't get a care package in because the care agent won't do that. So we could see those as problems that the NHS had and we had a solution to. So we've now got two contracts with the NHS, one with West Suffolk Hospital and one with Ipswich Hospital. And during the pandemic, so between March last year and March this year, we enabled 500 hospital discharges and freeing up 500 beds at that time. You know, I'm very proud of our team for that because in Suffolk, we never read at any time that anybody had to sit in the back of an ambulance and the hospital car park for hours for want to get in a bed. So I think that's pretty massive, really. It really is. So what, what you're saying there is that... Um people were able to return to their own home yeah therefore that freed up beds that people who needed them were able to utilize and and also by doing that work we enable people to die at home with their family and and that that's hard that's Mm. really hard and actually it has had quite an impact on on members of our team but you know we we work through it Mm. but the other the other issue that that we've seen is that Older people sometimes, you know, like when you downsize from your three bedroom place into your one bedroom place. Well, if you don't take time or haven't got the help to declutter leading up to that, you end up with the removal men just grabbing your boxes and stacking your boxes and walking away. So you start off very cluttered, increases your risks of falls, for example, or your tenancy been at risk if, if the home is cluttered. But actually, if you've got a very cluttered home, and, and you haven't got a good flow of heating or heating at all. And we come in sometimes that have no heating at all. You know, you, you have an increase around problems with condensation and mold and all that. But also it costs more to heat your home because mm. you've got a load of stuff there. Well, you know, you can't heat your home efficiently. It costs you more to heat your home. So, so we offer that kind of downsize to move service to avoid those sorts of problems. Mm. Um, and we also, offer a kind of unpacking service uh, again. So what, basically what we're trying to avoid is, is that clutter hoarded homes becoming a, a problem for anybody at any time in their life because we've worked with people that have been evicted because of the clutter or hoard in their home, homeless, made homeless. And if you go back to my beginning of working with homeless young people, that one of my aims is actually that we try and prevent that from happening in the first place, if we can. But we see the impact on hospital discharges, but on family relationships as well. We've worked with families where they've not been allowed to see the grandchildren because their home is deemed to be unsafe. And 
we worked with one elderly lady and we worked with her over several days to do her decluttering. And at three o'clock on our last day, she had the children for the first time come and visit her and have tea with her grandma. And you know, that, that's massive. You can't measure that. You can't, mm. you can't put a price on that. And, and so, you know, there's, there's lots of, and we do those one-off cleans and then the tenancy cleans and one-off gardening so that a regular gardener, regular cleaner can come in and maybe stop this stuff from happening again. So there's a method and a reason behind what we do, but it's not always clear to everybody. No, and that's the thing about this is that you've sort of branched out into essentially just not not just thinking of it from an economic perspective of saving people money, which is probably where you started with the insulation, mm, but actually just yeah. totally radically changing their lives. Well, it's true. That, that is true because, you know, we get on, <clears throat> I'm going to say a daily basis, um, cards, emails, feedback from the hospital, feedback from social workers. In fact, we just had, we had a social worker in our office the other day and she said, I went to see Mrs. Bloggs. And uh, she said, what you have done is life changing. And it's kind of like, okay, well, thank you very much. And it's lovely to hear. Um, but, but the other problem that we do see is that doing that one-off declutter, there has to be that kind of follow-up support, which isn't there, which is an ambition of ours to be able to provide, but we can only provide it if we get the funding to do it. So mm. there's that constant scanning the horizon, but also being true to your core, because it's very easy to have that kind of mission creep. And yeah. so, so that's what I've tried to do is, is try and stay true to our core, but our core is actually creating warmer, safer, healthier homes in Suffolk. So I think that's what we do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So how many staff are, are, do you have employed at the moment? We've got it? 12. We've got 12 at the moment. Right. Um, we're, we're kind of in COVID recovery mode. I mean, it, it's very strange. We're in strange times because prior to COVID, you know, it was great. You know, you build your pipeline and you, you've got your regular stack and this, that and the other. And I mean during lockdown actually we were still out and about in the community and going into homes where social workers weren't and housing officers weren't and we were the boots on the ground and often through our assessment visits we were providing that information back to social workers and housing officers you know of course now they're back out as it were on the, on the street um they've got a massive catch-up to do so we're kind of in that food chain you know you're you've got your your I think what COVID has made me realise, actually, is that we take for granted, don't we, those that are in our supply chain, if you like. The people in our supply chain, for example, are charity shops, and they got locked down. Um, the referrals that we get from statutory and voluntary um, colleagues, and some of those were kind of locked down. Um, the local authority waste disposal teams and the local tip and all of that. So I think I've become more aware than ever, actually who has, what our supply chain is. And actually I just took it all for granted before it was just there and we just did it. Um, and of course now as we emerge, and I think it's the same for many, many businesses that it's very kind of up and down. 
Um, and I think in part it's because we do work in people's homes and if they've got, if they have got COVID and sadly we've, we've still got such a lot of it around that people are still self-isolating and that impacts on your business. So, you know, like when you talk about your business recovery plan and in a way now feels a little bit like when we were starting out where it's not quite so predictable. It's not as predictable as it was two years ago. It's, it feels like we've got a bigger range of services, but it's almost like having to start again in kind of reminding people that you're there and what you do and, and, and all of that. So it's it's strange times. And different risks too, I guess. Um, things that perhaps you're having to consider that you never had to think about five years ago. And more costs as well. And I, I, I mean, I think that's the other thing. And I think that's the other thing that social enterprise and... I don't think everybody really understands social enterprise. I think they muddle social enterprise up with charity. And then when you say, this is how much we charge, they go, oh, you're expensive. But we are more expensive because we've got all the overheads of, of a business. You know, when, when we pay a, above the minimum wage, but but you know, it's taken us a while to get there. And it's not hugely over the minimum wage, but it's, you know, um, we don't have zero hour contracts or any of that sort of stuff. And, and you commissioning my service, you want to know that I've got all the proper insurances, yeah? Mm. So the, the additional cost that comes in with COVID now is, is managing that, creating that COVID secure work environment to keep our staff safe and our customers safe and not be super spreaders in the community. Mm. And actually what we've needed to invest in, and again, through grant funding, because we didn't have the money in our coffers, we now have three vehicles because we keep our staff working in teams of two. We have staggered start times. We spend a fortune on PPE, which went through the roof during COVID. There was mm. real crooks out there. Mm. Um, you know, so we've got all of those additional costs now because of this time at a time actually when things are up and down. And again, that's what others need to understand that, you know, it's costing more now to deliver the same service. So actually, when we tell you now we've had to put a cost up by X, you need to understand that, please, because actually we still want to be here to support vulnerable people and we give a huge amount of added value. I think that's the thing, it's the whole message that is important for us to learn when dealing with social enterprise, that as you say, it is a business, but it's there for a purpose, so it's not done on the cheap. No, and and, and the thing is, often, you know, you'll hear, and I, I actually like the, the, the phrase, it's trading for good, mm. profit with a purpose, because any profit that we make, a small amount of profit is not, you know, not even enough to buy another van, you know, we're, you know, we're not talking big bucks at all, but it doesn't go into, into the pockets of directors or shareholders. It actually goes back into investing in, well, can we invest that in trying out some additional support to someone, you know, delivering the service in a different way or taking on a different group of young people or whatever, you know? So I think people need to understand that as well. Mm, important stuff. How do you see the future? With all of this as we come to a close Oliver what do you see looking forward is it something that can grow um 
absolutely uh, the, we're not finished yet there's other services that that we we want to have so for example people that have got a hoarding disorder that their their underlying mental health issues and trauma that needs to be dealt with trying to get those people hooked into mental health services is nigh and impossible so one of my ambitions for the future is for us to have a mental health worker on our team or a counsellor on our team so that rather than us doing our risk reduction stuff that actually we could offer a much more holistic rounded service because actually what you want to do at the end of the day is 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 stop that hoarding behavior re reoccurring but if you don't put that support in before during and after you know, it's just always going to be a revolving door. So, so that's one ambition. And another ambition I've got is that um, we see a lot of homes that and families that are in furniture poverty. So as well as fuel poverty, we see furniture poverty. I mean, we see children that don't have a bed to sleep in, don't have a warm bedding or duvet or whatever. We genuinely see that. In 2021, that is shocking. Mm -hmm. um, so one of one of the other things I'd like for us to be able to do is actually offer a, a furniture project where when we do get the three-legged whatever, that actually we could run a learning program with other young people to teach them the skills to do those repairs, which would skill them up and maybe give them an insight into where they might wish to go in the future. But actually in doing that, then we could pass that furniture on to people that we come across in need. So we're not finished yet. Well, Olive, that's been absolutely amazing hearing about the background, how you started and how you've grown to where you are now and uh, the other things that you think you can assist with. And, and some of that is staggering stuff. I mean, the fact you know, when you just referred to their people not having beds to sleep on in, you know, in, in the UK in this year is, is awful. It's shocking. And, and uh, I mean, again, you know, it's about how the business community as well can help social enterprise. I mean, I'm not, I, I will mention us, but I mean, for us to do our furniture project, for example, so Otley College will do the training around the skills needed to do that kind of woodwork and stuff. Um, so that's okay. But, but you know, what, what, you, what we would need is, is a place to be able to, to do that stuff from, you know, and, and to collect furniture. Now, we don't want to be a furniture depository or a charity shop or anything like that. But, you know, it's when you talk about growth, it's also what is involved in that growth and what's that additional cost in that growth and actually who else might be able to help. So it's not just about, you have the idea for the growth, but it's, it's then about all the practical things and the financial cost attached to that which makes it possible to happen or not, isn't it? So mm. I think you need to be mindful of that as well. Yeah, well, a lot of stuff to work through. Um, Olive, thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. First of all, just catching up with you, um, yeah, okay. seeing the success that you've made of this amazing idea and um, trust it continues to grow and makes a huge difference to people's lives, which it obviously has done. Thank you. Thank you, Colin, for this opportunity as well. Oh, it's lovely, lovely to catch up with you. So thank you for listening to another edition of the Suffolk Money Podcast. As you know, we're looking for interesting stories to speak with businesses, charities and community groups or financial uh, issues that arise within the county of Suffolk. 
I just want to thank my team, Kevin and Sally Birch, for all the hard work that they do behind the scenes, and Joy Day, who ensures that everything gets uploaded and looks good. If you want to find out more about us, go to our website, which is suffolkmoney.co.uk, or look us up on Facebook, just look up Suffolk Money. Uh, and ensure that you'll subscribe to this podcast because then you will always get the most recent version and edition. One other thing that we would really ask is if you would kindly rate uh, this and give it lots of stars uh, so that more people can find it and understand what it does. So thank you for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you again soon.